All right, go in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 49. Would you guys agree that we live in a very unstable world? Did you ever think you couldn't find baby formula in America? Do you ever think that day would come in your lifetime? Um, and, you know, we're, we're watching some really weird things go on in our lifetime. Um, and uh, I'm not here to tell you that the Lord's coming back next week or tonight or anything else. I, I don't know when that's going to be, but I'll tell you this much. Uh, I believe he's coming back. And I'm glad for that. I'm glad I won't be left here with all the chaos that's going to happen in this world. And it's already chaotic enough. Um, it's an unstable world. Uh, stand with me, if you would. Look at Genesis 49. I want to take you back a few thousand years in time to... Uh, and what the Lord does, he gives us a little bit of insight into some family gatherings. He goes, I want you to go back a few thousand years in time and just watch a, an old man address his sons. And so that's what we're going to do this morning is watch an old man address his sons as he's about to leave this earthly scene. And uh, he breathes some of the last words that they'll ever hear their father speak here in Genesis 49. And this is the patriarch, Jacob, otherwise known in the Bible as Israel, uh, the nation that we know today as the great nation of Israel comes from this patriarch here in Genesis 49. Uh, look if you would at verse 1. And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Now this morning, as we gather, we're, we're not going to be gathering necessarily uh, it physically in front of a patriarch, and you're not even gathering in front of me as much as you are gathering in front of God. And you've got a heavenly Father that knows everything about you. And uh, the Father here knows some things about His sons, and He's going to reveal them. And I want you to notice in verse 3, He says this, Reuben, starts with the oldest, Thou art my firstborn, my might, the beginning of my strength, the excellence of dignity, and the excellency of power. Sounds pretty good to me. Till you get to verse 4. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. Unstable as water. I want to talk to you about the end of an unstable stable life let's go to the lord in prayer i'm going to ask brother eric thank you for singing that that was a real blessing if you can open us up in a word of prayer sir Amen. Be seated if you would. We're looking at the end of a man's life. And you know what happens at the end of your life? The older you get, the less you care about what people think. You ever notice that about old people? I mean, like, they just kind of like, ah, nah. You know why? Because they don't care anymore. 
They've lived long enough, and they know what people are like, and they're like, shoot, I'm leaving here anyways. You ever notice someone when they're like in their last couple weeks at work, they call them short timers. You ever notice why? Because they're like, eh, I don't care. You know why? I'll be gone in a couple weeks. It doesn't matter. And they kind of, their work ethic changes a little bit. When you get older, you just start caring less. It's kind of like those two grumpy old men from the Muppets. You know what I'm talking about? All they do is sit there and just make fun of everybody. You know, that, I, I'm going to be an old man like that someday. <laughs> you know, just like that. And I'm not going to care what anybody thinks as much as I do right now, I'm sure. And Jacob is at the end of his life. He doesn't care what his son's saying. He's about to die. Everything that he wants to tell them, he's like, this is, I tell them now or they never hear it. So Jacob's like, I'm just going to let her rip. And so Jacob does that. We tell pre- preachers all the time, let her rip, tater chip. You know what that means? Uh, di- be not dismayed at their faces. When you get one of these, just keep preaching, right? And so you know what Jacob is saying? In, in, in so many words, what you see in Jacob's life is, I don't care what you guys think. I'm going to let you know because you need to know this. And the father was kind of silent about certain things that happened in the family's life. He didn't address all those things openly all the time. But now he's at the end. And he's telling them, look, based on things that you did, here is where your life is heading. You know what we have a hard time with? Understanding the end from the beginning. Because we just look at things from where we're at. We can't always see where they end. But what the Father, what your heavenly Father wants to do for you this morning is advise you and give you some idea of where your life is going, especially if you're someone that is unstable. He says to Reuben, he says, you're unstable as water. And he says this, thou shalt not excel. I I do want you to understand, though, for those that might be thinking that Jacob is a kind of a hard dad and he's not easy to please. And, you know, maybe you had a father like that in your own life and I just never please him. Uh, let, let's be honest about what Jacob is saying. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number three. Do you not see some positive traits here? Do you not see that not everything that Jacob says is negative? Did you not notice that there were some positive things to say about Reuben? And he, and he talks about those positive things. He says, look, not just because of your position, but because of who you are, man. You've got, you've got power and you've got dignity and excellence and all these things we can say there. But, but if I just flatter you and tell you how great you are and I don't address the issue in your life, I'm not going to help you. And you as a parent have to do that as well. You need to praise your child and give them affirmation, but you also need to give them direction as well. And your heavenly father is no different. Don't look at God when he tells you what's wrong in your life. No, I just can't please you. No, God is going to praise you. He's going to give you the rewards at the judgment seat of Christ that you deserve as a child of God that you've earned serving him. He's not against that. He's going to say, hopefully someday, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But in the meantime, let me ask you this. Can God, as your father, tell you, hey, there's some things you need to look out for. Can he address the area of instability in your life. Notice in verse number three, he's the firstborn. Notice the might. Notice the strength. Notice the dignity. Notice the power. And then all of a sudden he mentions unstable as water. Can I say this? You don't survive without water. You need water. And in Colorado especially, you, you gotta you gotta stay hydrated. I mean you gotta and especially if you move here from out of state or you're visiting from somewhere else Sure, I'm glad we got more than one bathroom again. 
you've got to stay hydrated. It's important that you say, listen, there is no life without water. You know, in the very beginning of the book of the, Bi- of the Bible, in Genesis, before God said, let there be light, the Bible says the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And it also says, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life. Life is connected to water. You can't get away from that principle in your life. Uh, let me say this. Now, uh, wells uh, where you would find water, access to water is fought over. To this day, it's fought over. You know what Coloradans have said for years? We're in drought because of those stupid Californians taking all our water. And if you're from California, don't get offended. Uh, because eventually, if you're here long enough, you just complain about someone else's coming in. Amen? That's what everybody does. All right? Uh, but, but, but what I'm getting is, still, to this day, going back to Genesis, Isaac fought with the Philistines over wells of water. You know why? Because you can't have life without water. You, lo- water sustains life. You don't grow crops without water. Whether you do it through irrigation or wait for the rain to fall, you need water to live. So water is something we see in the Bible and in life that you have to have to live. However, when water is out of control, that same thing that can give life can destroy life. Do you remember what God used to flood out the entire earth? You know what he says in Genesis chapter number uh, 6? I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping things and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. What did he use? He used water and lots of it. <laughs> People say oftentimes, I was watching a report about uh, some uh, cave that was discovered near, uh, near some place uh, off the coast of France, and they, they found this cave where they found uh, the remains of what they thought were prehistoric penguins. Like, why would penguins be in this area of the world? And I got one answer for you, a ginormous flood. And, uh, you know, God used that thing to flood out. You know what I'm trying to point out to you? Listen, guys, $20 billion a year goes to water damage in the United States of America. $20 billion, that's a lot of money. You know what that tells you? Water can, as much as it can give life, it can destroy life and do a lot of damage. And can I say this? The same can be said about your life. You are, listen to me, you are here as a child of God to be a bearer of light and of life in this dying and dark world. They need light, and they need water, and you've got it. You are the channel for it. But let me just say this. If your life is out of control, and your life is unstable, the very thing that God wants to use to bring life to this world will bring the opposite of that. Christian, you're that person. You're that vehicle that God wants to use to bring life. But if you're unstable, you won't live up to what God has called you to do and God's called you to be. Can I point out to you, look at Genesis 37. Go back a few chapters. Can I, can I point out to you that if it was not for Reuben, who we're talking about right now being unstable as water, that if it was not for Reuben, Joseph would have been dead. So we, we need to acknowledge that Reuben was not all bad. Okay? Because if you, if you just look at Reuben and go, oh, what a jerk, unstable as water. And then when you find out why his father says that, you're really going to think he's a jerk, all right? But you look at him, you go, oh, man, unstable, terrible guy. But, but, but that wasn't his whole life story. Look at Genesis 35, 37. Genesis 37, look if you would at verse 21. Uh, Joseph is the youngest of the brothers. You know what they want to do with him? They want to kill him. You know, they, he, he's walking around with his nice coat of many colors, and, 
And then he talks to them about his dreams. And he, he just, listen, by the way, if you ever have a dream, if you're in a family of like nine siblings, 10 siblings, and you're like, I had this dream and, and all these things were bowing down to me and you guys were the things. Isn't that great? You guys were bowing down to me. If you have a dream like that, just keep your mouth shut. Joseph didn't have the, the discernment, like sometimes we don't as well. There are certain things that some people can't handle around you. You get certain Bible stories, certain Bible lessons, and you want to tell everybody everything you know, and some folks just can't handle it. And Joseph's brothers couldn't handle it. You know what they heard? All they heard was, we want to kill you. And so they go, you know what? That is it. The next time that little sucker comes around, and right as they're saying that, little Joseph comes in, and he's like, hey, guys, Dad sent me to check on you. You know what that means? I'm here to tattle on you. Ever had a sibling like that? Don't raise your hand. We know you had one, all right? And you know that whatever you were doing, there was one sibling that's going to tell mom or dad everything that's going on. Joseph was that sibling. I don't know if you were that sibling in your family, Joseph. He was that sibling, all right? Were you the youngest? Okay, this is making more sense now. All right, Joseph. Okay, got it. Do you have a coat of many colors? No? Okay, good. All right, don't get one, don't get one. <laughs> uh, but you understand that, that Joseph was sent by his dad to check on his brothers, and he shows up, and you know what they do? They grab him, they go, you're gonna, you're, we're going to kill you. And then Reuben steps in. He was daddy's favorite, you know, Joseph's daddy's favorite. And they're going to kill him, and Reuben goes, whoa, 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 guys, whoa. Let's think through this. Genesis 37, look at verse 21. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. You know what he's doing? He's trying to figure out a way to get him out of the brother's hands, because he didn't want to look soft, but he knew what they were doing was wrong, and he also knew as the firstborn he was going to give him an account for what happened to his little brother. So he's like, hey guys, can we compromise on this? Let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit right? I mean, that's better than killing them. And so let's throw them in the pit. And then later on, when the guys have gotten over their anger, I'll go back and dig him out. Now, look, we know how the story goes. And Joseph gets sold into slavery and all that kind of stuff. But, but you need to understand this. Reuben wasn't even a part of that. He comes back to that pit later. He goes, what happened to him? And he's like, like what, where, did he, where did he go? Like, guys, I left you with a human being. How did you lose him? We put him in a hole in the ground. How did you lose him? Right? And yet, there he is. He's gone. Now, let me ask you this question. If, it was, if the Bible narrative is true, is, if, if, is it not true that if it wasn't for Reuben, Joseph would have been killed? So can we also acknowledge that not everything about Reuben's life was bad? Because what happens with Bible characters, we go, jerk, bad, 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 oh, real bad. And then you don't look in the mirror and go, that's me sometimes. I've got these moments, well, listen, and, and that's kind of the problem with Reuben. There, there's these moments where he shines through like the hero, and you're like, man, I want to be like Reuben. That's a, that's a good idea. Let's not go down that path. That's a dark path, and Reuben's the hero, and yet Reuben's also the villain. You know why? Because he's a lot like we are. He's unstable. You know what his father tells him? You have all the potential as my son, listen to me, you have all the potential as my son. All the promises of God are found in this family, in the nation of Israel. You have all the potential to be whatever you want to be, to do what God has called you to do, to overcome whatever you want to overcome with God's help. That's your calling in life. But you will not make it. 
And the reason you won't make it and the reason you'll never live up to what I desire for your life is because you're unstable. Because one minute you're like this and one minute you're like this. One minute you're happy. One minute you're going, you know what? (laughs) Can I get a witness on this one? I mean, one minute you're like, I want to eat healthy and I want fruits and vegetables and then some idiot brings pizza in the room. Why'd you do that? (laughs) Unstable as water. Can you... Remember the, the water beds of the 80s? Anybody remember those? You know, slosh, 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 right? You know what they were? They were unstable. You know, unstable is defined as that which is not fixed, not steady, not constant, irresolute and wavering. Are you wavering today, Christian? Let me just tell you this. It doesn't take away your salvation. It doesn't take away your place in the family. But I do want you to understand it does remove some of the blessings you could have in this life. You know what water does? It follows the path of least resistance. And the path of least resistance leads to crooked rivers and crooked men. And you know what Reuben was? Reuben knew that if everyone was going to find out about it, I better make sure that it's, it's covered. I better make sure that nobody hurts Joseph because how am I going to live after that? It's going to kill my father. But if I can just kind of get away with fulfilling my flesh on the side and nobody knows about it, no big deal. Let me just say this right now. Just because not everything in your life is exposed right now doesn't mean the father's not watching. And it doesn't mean the father's not taking record of it. And you as a child of God need to understand that just as Reuben, one minute he's the hero, the next he's the villain, you've got this, this enemy agent working inside of you called the flesh. And everything that is against what your father wants is what your flesh wants. And you have to understand there's an element of instability in every child of God because of that alone, let alone all the other issues of our lives. But you know what the Bible says about the God of all grace who had called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you've suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Anybody here want to invest billions of dollars in the Ukraine right now? You know why? Because it's unstable. You know where people invest their money generally? Where there is stability. Do you know where people are going to invest in other people? Where there's stability, when you notice that people aren't listening to what you're saying, it might be that you're unstable. And one minute you're saying one thing, and the next minute you're saying something else, and they're going, which, which Adrian am I talking to? Are you with me this morning? Instability is a problem in the Christian life. The Bible says you don't have to be that way. You can be rooted and built up in him, and as the Bible says, established in the faith. You know what Jesus says? He says, in the end times, there'll be wars and rumors of wars and false Christ deceiving many. See what you're seeing right now? You're seeing just kind of the beginning of all that. And you know what, you're, you know what the world is right now? It's very, now the, you can say, well, the world's always been unstable. Yeah. Now, here, here you have to understand. I'll tell you this. The world's always been evil. But you have to understand this as well. The world has never been so connected. And the more connected, since the Tower of Babel, you haven't seen it like this, the more connected we get, and listen, this is a, a pattern in history you're going to find, the more connected we get as human beings, somehow God just kind of gets pushed out of the way. It happened at the Tower of Babel, it happened in Genesis chapter 6, and it's happening again. And so what ends up happening, with the more we get together, and, 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 and we basically look at humanism, as humanism increases, God gets kicked out of the picture, and you have turmoil as a result. 
and you look at the wars and the rumors of wars, you look at the pestilence, you look at the, all the stuff that, 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 that went on the last couple of years, and we're not done yet. Do you understand the world right now is very unstable? And we know why it's unstable. But do you know what that means? If the world is unstable and we want to make a difference, we can't be like them. We have to be different. In order to make a difference, you have to be different, which means this. You can't just be like they are going back and forth in regards to what you believe and how you respond and how you act and what your values are and this and that. You can't do that. Because if you do that, you, they lose hope of any sight of what it means to be a Christian. They have no idea. Listen, the Bible says you are an open letter known and read of all men. The world is watching your life. You know what they need to see right now? That you're stable when they're not. Parents, have you ever been into a, uh, maybe a financial uh, a hurt, uh, a hardship in your family and you didn't want the kids to know why? Because I don't want them to worry about it. I don't want them to be concerned with my, so you know what, when I'm with the kids, I don't break open the checkbook and go, see this? You see this? This is why I've got white hair. Do you see it? I don't do that. Why? Because if, if I'm unstable, they will be unstable. They need someone to be a rock in their life. And even if you're not a father or a husband or have children, you are that person for somebody. You ought to be. God wants you to be stable, not like Reuben. I told the kids, listen, if you finish school, you know, and do a good job, which they kind of don't have a choice. His mom's going, they better finish school. They better finish it with a good job, you know. And, but I said, you guys finish school and you finish it with a good job, we'll go to Elegis, right? And did we go? Yes. Is that a question? No. <laughs> All right. We went to Elitch's. You know, when we got on the ride, there was one ride that, that he wanted me to go on, and he couldn't go by himself. And the whole time, I'm like, I got this. I got this. You got to understand, I've had a squishy little tummy for a very long time. I do, it does not take a whole lot to get me to go. Just like that. That's all she needed to go. Mm, pregnancy. Don't do that, honey. I, I have a weak stomach when it comes to rides. And I thought to myself, here's thousands of people paying money to get onto something that spins them around. At the end, they get off where they started and they're sick. And they paid for it. And they get off going, man, wasn't that awesome? And you know what I thought about? I thought, man, that is the world. Is that not the world? Looking for a ride, looking for a thrill, looking for something to make life exciting and willing to pay at any cost. You get on and you get off at the same place. And when you get off, you're no better than when you started. You're worse off. That's the way the world operates. And people are paying to be unstable. When Israel addresses his son Reuben, he goes, you know, I haven't said a whole lot about this son, but I need to address this. Go, go back to Genesis 49. Why were these very direct words spoken to Reuben? There was something that, that was in Reuben's life. There was an event in Reuben's life that caused dad to go, I can't trust you. People should be able to trust us. They shouldn't see one way at church, one way out in the world. 
they shouldn't see one, one person at church, one person on social media. They, they shouldn't, they, they, there shouldn't be this dichotomy between us. There should be some stability, some consistency. But there was an event. I want you to understand this. It's not that you can't recover from sin in your life as a Christian because you can. Thank God that you can. If we confess our sins, he's faithful. Very much so. You can recover. You can be restored in fellowship. But there are events in your life, you understand this, that can eventually define who you become. I didn't say you're not forgiven. You get with someone and have a child. Good person or bad person, you have a child, that's going to define you for the rest of your life. I'm not saying that the, ba- the kid is bad or anything like that, but you understand that, that, that will change your life forever. And it was a moment in time that brought that child into existence. Are you with me? And so what I'm getting at is this, guys. There are things in our lives that, that you have to understand. Decisions that you make where the father will look at you and go, look, I want to give you more. I want to trust you more. But there's this thing that, that kind of defines who you are. And it defines who you are because it proved whenever you had the opportunity to do something that you knew wasn't right. And you did it anyways. Prove the instability that was already there. Look at Genesis 49. Look, if you would, at verse 4. What happened here? You read the rest of the verse, you know what it was? There's some sexual sin in his life. And don't look at me like, oh, Pastor, you said the S word in church. You guys watch and hear way worse than anything I could say from this pulpit. I have, I've learned a long time ago, I will not blush from what I say from this pulpit because I know what Americans are watching on TV these days. But I want you to understand that's what happened in Reuben's life. And you know what makes it worse? I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to keep this very, very above board for the kids. But you know what makes this worse? In the story, when it actually happens in Genesis 35, it's right after Jacob's wife, Rachel, who he loved, died. And do you know who Reuben did this with? With Bilhah, Rachel's maid. You know what it was to dad? It was a slap in the face. The one person connected to the deceased wife of his, he could look at and go, every time I see her, I'm going to think about her, was, th- was that woman. And you know what Reuben did? He took advantage of it. In a moment of vulnerability, of emotional weakness for a bunch of parties involved, his instability was expressed through that sin. That may not be your sin. Some of you are like, whew, if that's where we're going today, thank God I'm not that guy. <laughs> that may not be your area of instability, But you understand what it was, was a time of vulnerability where Reuben allowed his flesh to take over. And because of that, dad looks at his son and goes, you're unstable. I should be able to give everything to you because you're the firstborn, but I can't. I'd like to give you more, but I can't. And I just wonder how many of us as God's sons would God look at and go, I want to give you more, but I can't. When you're a boss or a parent or anything like that, there are people that you, you entrust with certain things, and then you see how they do. And, and then you see certain people can rise to the occasion, and you see others that don't take it seriously, or they're just not ready for it, or some that truly, sometimes they shine, and sometimes, man, they just bottom out. You know what they are? Unstable. Can I say this? To build a work in your life for Jesus Christ, you need some stability. 
you do not build a house on top of dirt without putting the footers in first. You know why? Because you got to have a foundation. There needs to be stability in order to build it. You can't build a church like we're trying to with God's help, and it's his work, by the way, without stability. If every other week I was gone and a different pastor was preaching, and you're wondering if I'm coming back, you wouldn't keep coming back. There would be a lack of stability from the pulpit. And just like you would say, I don't know what's going on there. I'm not going to keep showing up because I'm not sure where they're going. Understand this. When you do that in your life, there are others watching. And they're going, I don't know if I want to get on that ride. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. God wants you stable, Christian. He doesn't want you sloshing back and forth on the waterbed. <laughs> he wants you to be able to put your feet on the ground and go, I'm stable. I know who I am. I know where I'm grounded. I know what is truth. I know what matters in my life. I know what my values are. I know where I'm headed. I know what my mission is. And you know what? Regardless of what anyone says or, or thinks about me, this is what is right. You know what? That brings some stability in your life. Let me say this. Look, if you would have been with me at a few people, I want to go through the Bible very quickly this afternoon and, and just point out some people who we see an instability in their character. And how does it end up for them? The first one is a man named Saul. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 18. You know what happens with Saul? The nation of Israel says, we want a king just like everybody else. We want, we want a king that's strong. We want a king that's you know, uh, uh, brings a real authority and and we want to be like everybody else. And so God goes, okay, I'll give you a king. And you have a king just like everybody else. And so they get what they asked for. And let me just say this right now. One of the worst things you could get sometimes in your life is for God to give you what you asked for. I am so thankful for a lot of unanswered prayers in my life. Or I should say answered prayers, but just not in the way that I wanted in that moment. I am thankful that God as my father has more sense than I do in moments when I say, Lord, here's what I think our church needs. The Spirit of God steps and goes, Lord, I know what he said, but he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> so what he really needs is this. And the Father goes, oh, that makes a whole lot more sense. I'm thankful for that. Amen. Uh, but, but, but what I want you to understand is this. Saul was the result of the people not being grounded in their desire for God to be their king. Saul's the the response from God. Oh, you want to be unstable? I'll let you have an unstable king. Saul had what I would call an unstable spirit, and I want you to understand this. First off today, an unstable spirit means losing the blessing of God. You have a chance to have great spiritual influence on people around you. I'll tell you one thing that scares the you-know-what out of me is knowing that I can get behind this pulpit and just be in the flesh and God take his hand off of me. That's scary. The idea that God would one day go, you know what? You guys don't want to follow my lead. You don't want to listen to what I'm saying. You want to do your thing your own way. You don't want to follow the Bible. I'm kind of going to move on to somewhere else. That scares me. I want God's blessing on my life, on my home. I'm like Peter, Lord, not just the head. Get everything. Go ahead and cover it all. You know why? Because I need that. I don't want to be left out in the dark. I want God involved in every aspect of my life. Saul had this idea that, you know what, I kind of understand what I'm here to do, and I, I don't really need your help, Lord, I've got it. I want you to notice something in 1 Samuel chapter 18, and verse number 1. It came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, 
that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him, that's David, Saul took him that day and would, not let, him go, uh, would, not, would let him go no more home to his father's house. So David was the guy that just one chapter prior, now look, we don't have time to look at it, but you know what happens one chapter prior? You got the nation of Israel on one side. You got the Philistines on the other, and there's a valley in between them. And the Philistines are calling out from the other side, who's your God? You're, the, God, you're the, the, the nation that serves the one true God. Where's your God now? And, and, and Goliath gets up there and curses God and defiles and defies God's name. And all the Israelites are on the other side of that mountain. You know what they're all doing? They're going, you go first. No, you know, you go first. You want to fight them? You, you go first. And they're all just standing there and watching. And then this young guy comes in the picture, and this young guy was another one sent by his father to check on his brethren like Joseph was. And David comes there, and just to see what's going on, and he starts looking at the thing, and as a young man, as a teenager more than likely, he sees these two sides staring at each other, and he watches the Philistines who represent the world, and the Israelites who represent believers today. And the world is very loud about what they think and what they believe, and here are the believers kind of just sitting there meekly and quietly, not saying a word. While they defy your God and blaspheme your God and make a mockery of your religion and what you believe in your faith, you're quiet. By the way, here's what I've noticed. Open-minded people aren't. When someone says they're open-minded, I go, how open-minded are you? What do you mean? I believe this and this and that. Okay, great. Here's what I believe. You're a bigot. You're a closed mind. No, no, no. Just because I don't agree with you doesn't make me a bigot. How is it that you're, you're saying, I'm a bigot because I disagree? Maybe you're the bigot. Maybe you're the one that has no tolerance for me. Have you noticed how the world has gone in that direction? And you know what a lot of God's people are doing? They're just quiet. And David goes, are you kidding me? You guys are grown men. You're not willing to stand up and say something. And you know what they say, David, just get out of here. We know you're just here to cause trouble and to, to, to find some adventure here. Just get out of here, man. And David goes to, the king, to King Saul, who we're going to read about. He goes, guys, listen, King, uh, uh, with all due respect, I, I think we need to do something about this problem. And Saul's like, yes, we absolutely do. We do. And David goes, you know what? I'll do it. Well, what do you got? I just got this, you know, five stones and a, and a slingshot. And Saul's like, no, no, you try this armor on. David tries it on. He goes, oh, King, this is just not going to fit. It's just not going to work. I need to do what God has called me to do the way God's called me to do it. It's old fashioned. People are going to laugh at it, but it's going to work because God's in it. And so David goes, he grabs that stone and he doesn't need five after all. He just took the one and slung it at that giant's forehead and it sank in his head and he dies. And David goes and grabs his sword, cuts off his head. I mean, all the guys love reading first Samuel. It's great. Bloody and guts and all that kind of stuff. And then David is the hero that day. Now, let me ask you a question. If you, you know what the, the, here's where the options on that particular day. We win or we go back into slavery. Read the story for yourself. Those were, you talk about the stakes being high. So you would think if God brings a great victory that day and you're the leader of the country, you're like, look at what God did. And look at who he used. He used David, his young shepherd boy. What an amazing thing. That's not exactly how the story goes. Look at 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18, look down if you would at verse, oh, verse number 6. It came to pass, as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. 
And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul, and they just start singing that. And that music gets into Saul's head. And all of a sudden, look at verse number eight. All of a sudden, Saul's not happy anymore. Now, let me just ask you a question. If you almost became a slave and lost your life in a battle and someone shows up and wins the day, and no, you're not the one that gets to cut the giant's head off, but at least option B, I don't have to go into slavery, I'm glad I get option A, regardless of who it is. But I want you to notice Saul's response. He was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. Can you kind of read that like a poochie lip a little bit? <laughs> David to get ten thousands and me just thousands. Like, who are these people, you know? Like, what is wrong with them? And what's wrong with David? And why do you steal the thunder? And what's, how come it's all about David right now? This was a moment of joy. And he couldn't enjoy it. You know why some of you aren't enjoying it? Listen up. The reason an unstable spirit often loses the blessing of God is because the only time you're happy is when people are giving you the affirmation that you feel you need. You know what Saul thrived on? They love me. They love me. They love me. I'm the best. I'm head and shoulders above the people. Man, did you see my Instagram following? Oh my gosh. Did you see all the likes? Did you see all the followers? Man, on Twitter, I've got like a million followers, and they're all in my army, and they think I'm the best. I'm the chief. I, I mean, I'm the, 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 the commander of the, of, of the army, and they think I'm the best, and look how strong I am. And, and then here this runt shows up, and after all the battles I fought, how ungrateful they are. All they care about is David right now. You know what Saul's problem was? You know why his spirit was unstable? Because his spirit rejoicing and his spirit being in a place of contentment was all based on other people. You know why some of you are unstable? Because your happiness, your sadness, your emotion, all of it is invested in other people. Now listen, listen, listen. Don't walk out and go, Pastor says I need to be a robot. I'm clearly going to have emotions about my wife and about my children. I'm not saying that, but I'm going to tell you this right now. At the end of the day, if they say, you know what? We no longer believe God. We don't want, no longer believe the Bible. We're out of here. I still have the Lord. And the Lord hasn't changed. Are you with me on that? And so my, my identity, my joy, my, my spirit, if you will, should not be based on what other people think about me. You know what Saul's problem was? It was all about the people. Uh, go back to 1 Samuel 13. You have to read the story. We won't do that. We don't have time. But if you go to 1 Samuel 13, you read a story about how Saul got ahead of God. And the, the priest told him to wait until he showed up. And, and Saul didn't want to do that. And basically what Saul says, and there's an element of truth in what he says, if you read the entire chapter, is that Saul looked at the people and what they wanted, and they said, you know what, we got to do the sacrifice now, because we can't fight without doing the sacrifice. And I know what the priest said, I know what God said, but. So Saul goes, well, the people. And then look at chapter 15, go just two chapters later. In chapter 15, you see what happens. Oh, well, the, there's this commandment from God. You wipe everything out. You leave nothing living in Amalek. And, and, and instead, what happens is Saul listens to what the people want. And Saul goes, well, 
When Samuel shows up and, he, and Saul goes out and he goes, oh, Blessed art thou who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and Samuel goes, Cut it out, man, with all that phony spiritual garbage. Man, well, what is that? I hear sheep in the background. You were supposed to get rid of everything. What's this I hear? And Saul goes, Oh, you know, these people. And let me just be honest with you. If you live your entire life based on what others think about you, you're going to be miserable. And that's why sometimes at church you're one way and at home you're a different way. And at church you're one way and out in the community you're another way. Why? Because the people. Who am I around at church? Oh, church people. Who am I around in the community? Oh, not church people. So kind of, I'm just kind of like, yeah, what do you want? What do you want me to be? Put your coin in and I'll be whatever you want me to be. Do you know what happens to Saul in the end? Look back at 1 Samuel 18. First Samuel 18, do you know what happens? Three chapters earlier, back in chapter 15, do you know what, what Saul is told? He's told the kingdom, the kingdom will be rent from you and given to somebody else. And, and even at the end of, of, of Saul being addressed, his sin being addressed, do you know what Saul does? He goes, will you worship with me, Samuel? And Samuel goes, I'm not interested in worship, worshiping with you. Your heart's not right with God. Saul grabs the, 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 the shirt of, of Samuel, the prophet, and rips it as Samuel walks away. And Samuel just turns around and goes, hey, buddy, just like you ripped my shirt, hey, guess what? God's going to rip the kingdom away from you. Do you know what Saul's response is? After all of that, his response is, but the elders of the people need to see me worshiping with you. My image won't, it won't look good if, if they don't. Can you just, just one time, one last time? And Samuel looks at Saul and he goes, you just don't get it. You know why you're so unstable? Because everything about your life is based on other people. You know what Saul does? Look, if you would, at 1 Samuel 18, verse 9. You ever eye somebody? You know what that means? There's, there's two ways of doing that. There's like the, the, the like lustful eye, where you, that gentleman, don't do that. You get in a lot of trouble with God for that. And I'll never forget hearing a story about a man that's in a, a department store with his wife shopping, and some woman walks by, and she's not exactly dressed, covering everything. And as she walks by, the husband kind of does this number, and the wife, without even looking up, goes, was it worth it? Oh, boy. The answer is no, it is not. Amen. Amen. There's another kind of eye, though. It's like this. I just don't trust that Javen kid. <laughs> Always wearing Hollister stuff. That's from California. Can't be trusted. You know, that, that kind of eye where you just look at someone trying to find some kind of problem. And there's nothing wrong, but you, you project the problem on them because you're, there's an instability inside of you. And that's where Saul is at. And he's looking at David going, you're the problem, you're the problem, you're the problem, you're the problem. And, and David's just, just existing. David is literally doing what Saul is at. Okay, David could not go back to his house because Saul kept him. And Saul was like, would you be my music player? And David was like, sure, how much does it pay? Nothing. You got to stay here. Okay, great. He's playing the harp. You know what Saul does? Look what it says. Look at verse number 10. It came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand as at other times. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand. Can I ask you a question? 
If you're on a diet, should you have a dozen donuts on the kitchen counter? Don't listen to Sean Bowie. That's a bad idea. The guy has a metabolism of a 15-year-old, right? He can eat anything. He doesn't add any weight. Same with Brother Steon. But if you're like anybody else, you have a dozen donuts on the counter, and you say you're on a diet, you are tempting fate, mi amigo. You don't. So let me ask you this. If, if there's peace in your life, why are you walking around with a javelin in your hand? <laughs> Self-defense. If you're the king, you kind of got that covered. Are you with me? All that happened was the right thing at the right time or the wrong thing at the wrong time. And Saul cast that javelin at David. He did it twice. Oh, and by the way, P.S., two chapters later, he goes from being, ah, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. <laughs> so some of you live your life. Just rejoicing in the Lord till someone does something I don't like. Nah! And instead of a physical javelin, you use this. You know why? You're unstable. You know why you're unstable? Oh, by the way, P.S., two chapters later, he throws the javelin at his son. His own son. Why? Because it was all about what people thought and what people said. You know, eventually happens in his life, he dies, and he loses the kingdom. Why? He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Unstable. It's unstable spirit. And God said, you know what? I'm just going to take my hand off of you. You don't want that in your life. Look at Judges chapter 16. You're pretty close. Go to the left a little bit. Another man here named Samson. Samson is the most frustrating man I read about in the Bible. He is. To me, not maybe not to you, he is to me. He has something that every man wishes they had. Men, let me ask you a question, all right? Do you have dreams where you're practically Rambo? And like you are taking on like the entire North Korean army. And like no one can stop you. And you're just, you, all the moves. Now in real life, if you tried to do like one martial art move, you'd be like, oh, my hip, right? You, you wouldn't do what you do in your dreams. But in your dreams, man, you are just, you can, you're Chuck Norris, man. Drop me in a jungle in Vietnam in 1969. I'll take them all out. That's how you think in your dreams. And Samson is the fulfillment of that. Samson has unbridled strength. I wish I had that. Don't you? Samson had something that his generation didn't have. And yet, you know what Samson wants? He wants something that everybody else does have. Christian, can I say this? You've got something that nobody else has with the Spirit of God inside of you. You have something the world doesn't have. And yet, you know what we end up following our, finding ourselves doing? Going after that thing that they already have plenty of. You know what Samson had? He had a miraculous birth. His parents were older. They didn't think she could have any children, Elkanah and Hannah. And man, miraculously, they're given this son. And he's got this miraculous gift and this miraculous opportunity to change the entire course of the nation. And what he ends up doing, instead of doing that, is he spends all his time chasing girls. Now, some of you women are like, check, I don't got that problem. 
maybe not, but I want you to understand something, that the reason why Samson is eventually seen as an unstable person, and an unstable heart means losing the strength of the Lord in your life, is because he, also, he always wants to follow his own flesh. He wants to follow that which is sensual. And let me just say this, sensual does not always equate to sexual. Sensual is just that which is... A, you know what, if you're thinking it and you want to say it, say it. You want to hurt them, hurt them. You want to be the winner of the argument, win the argument. You want to show how proud you are, show them how proud you are. You feel like doing it, do it. You only live once anyway, so just do it. Whatever you feel like, just do it. you got an entire generation that was told, do whatever you want, be whatever you want, and now they're confused and mental illness is up, and everybody's going, what's going on? You created an unstable generation, and now you don't know what to do with it, and now you say those who proclaim truth are the problem. Truth has been there a long time, my friend. You know what's happened? Instability. Why? Just whatever the flesh wants, go after it. You know why some Christians aren't in church today? The flesh. Do you know why some believers have changed course? The flesh. Do you know why some preachers have blown their testimony and destroyed churches? The flesh. And no one in this room is exempt from that, even after you get saved. You know what happens? Your heart is constantly uh, torn, and you better learn to say, you know what? The, the heart wants to go in that direction, but I know that that's going to divide my heart against God. I don't want to be like Samson. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there an harlot and went in under her. Why? Because he wanted to. There gives no other explanation. It doesn't tell you, well, here's this deep reason. He was emotionally distraught. No, no, he just wants to. And you know what? That's what the flesh wants, so just give in to the flesh. What are you giving into over and over and over that you find causes instability in your life? You don't want to be like Samson. You don't want to lose the strength of God in your life. Look, if you would, at verse 20 in the same chapter. You know the story? Delilah gets involved. Gentlemen, if you ever find a girl named Delilah, run for your lives. That's, that's probably harsh. There's probably some good woman named Delilah out there, I'm sure. But, uh, but, but what I'm getting at is this. The character of Delilah, you don't want anything to do with that. Oh, but she's hot. She ain't going to be hot forever, bro. She turns 90 someday. And you understand what I'm saying? There better be more to it than that. You know what Samson was all about? Whatever makes sense to my flesh, that's what I want. You've got a chance to make the world a different place through Jesus Christ and the gospel, and all you're going to do is, is give it in your flesh over and over and over and over, and your heart's going to be unstable, and you're going to lose, you're going to lose the strength of God in your life. Look at verse 20. Keep flirting around with this stuff. It'll mess you up. Young men, I've got news for you. I'm not trying to pick on the young guys today, but let's just be honest. Let's be Let's get the, can we just put all the facade out of the way that the world constantly wants to put over our eyes? And let's be honest about it. Men and women are different. Okay? We're not the same. All right? She's pregnant. I'm not. Okay? That's how that works. Furthermore, can I say this? Not just biologically and physically, but emotionally we're different. Here's how you know. You, you see a guy, and he sees a beautiful woman, and he wants to look at her, and he's attracted to her. Now he wants to talk to her. And then 20 years later, or even a year later, you see this couple walking down the street. And you see this knockout beautiful woman, and you see this short guy like me, balding, real fat, just, you know, got you know, ketchup stain on his shirt, and he's with this girl, and you're like, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. He's a good talker. You know why? Because men, you fall in love with what you see. And ladies, you fall in love with what you hear. Which is why when he says, you're so beautiful, you're like, oh. 
And he says, you're the girl for me. I've never been in love like this before. <laughs> and the girl's like, oh my gosh, did you know what he just told me? Yeah, that's <laughs> you and five girls before you. All right, you know why? Because generally, women, you fall in love with what you hear. Men, you are attracted in a different way. And I'm not saying that women are attracted to the physical things. My, my point is this. The reason I'm talking to young men for just a moment is if you're not careful, you will follow your flesh to places that you can't always get out of. You know how Samson ends up? Samson ends up dying between two pillars with the weight of his own choices bearing him to his grave. Why? Just follow his flesh. You want to you you be unstable in your life? Follow your flesh. You want to have a divided heart and lose the blessing of the strength of God in your life? Follow your flesh. Look, look at a few chapters earlier. Look at chapter 14. You know what God will do in your life? He'll put some speed bumps in your way to your flesh to get you to wake up and realize you're going down the wrong path. And you know what Samson, you know what Samson had in his life? He had parents that were like, Son, we get it. We were young once, but you don't want to go down this path. Aren't there some people from our own nation you could go, like, date? Isn't there, like, a good church girl? No, they're all ugly. (laughs) This is Samson, okay? Look at Judges chapter 14. Or how about this? Nah, they're not loose enough. Judges 14, look if you would at verse number two. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I've seen a woman in Timnah. Do you notice? <laughs> it's not like I talked with this woman. She's got a great personality and, and she's a believer and we're going to get along great and we have the same values. Me, man, me saw woman. <laughs> me want woman, me take woman. That's kind of the, the Samson syndrome here. You know what it is? He's following his flesh. I've seen a woman, and the wording is interesting to me anyways. I've seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. This ain't Amazon, son. <laughs> Don't click a button and the girl shows up at your house. Look at verse 3. And his father and his mother said to him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren? Speed bump number one. For among all my people that thou goest to take a wife, of the uncircumcised Philistines, be bumped too. Look at his answer. Get her for me. Why? I want her. <laughs> yeah, because I guess if the flesh wants it, just do it. You, Christian, when you live that way, you pay for it. And there is strength and power God wants to give you to make a difference in this world for Jesus Christ, and you won't have it. You know what you are when you're this way? You're unstable. You know what Abraham does with Hagar? You know what Eve does with the fruit in the garden? You know what Israel says to God, give us flesh that we may eat? You know what Achan does when he stole that golden wedge and that Babylonian garment? He saw it, he coveted it, he buried it. You know what happens when we go by our flesh? We live a life of regret. And it causes your heart to constantly be, be torn between what God wants and and the more you give in your flesh, listen to me. You know the Bible says to young people, flee also youthful lusts. It calls them youthful for a reason. Because when you're 90, you're just like, whatever. <laughs> I'm being serious. 
right? And, and so he says, flee also youthful lust. You know why? Because if you get into it, you can, you'll be likely to get into it again and again and again and again. And then eventually you get married and you bring that baggage into your marriage. And then eventually you want to serve God. And there's all these things in your mind and your heart and you're trying to fight them. And you die spiritually under the weight of that load like Samson did. You know what you need? You need a heart that's united around Jesus Christ. And when your flesh pulls you in a certain direction, you go, you know what? I know where you want to take me, and I know it won't end well, and I'm glad that I'm where I'm at. I'm not following you anymore. You know, some of you ever have, I've got lots of kids in our house. They run in and out all the time. And, and, and you know, sometimes you'll see that this kid likes to get this kid, and the rest of the kids kind of like they follow. And, and when they get in trouble, it's like, well, they tell me to. It's like, have you ever thought you can tell them no? Right? And in the moment, you're enjoying whatever that older sibling told you to do. You're having the time of your life, and then mom and dad ruin the party, and you're like, he did it. You know what that is? That's you following your flesh. And you saying, I got to have it. I need it. I want it. I'm taking it. It causes instability in your life. Look, if you were to Acts chapter 17... Acts 17. Can I say this? An unstable mind means missing out on truth. An unstable mind means missing out on truth. You know, Pilate had Jesus Christ sitting in front of him who just a a few chapters earlier, in John 19, Pilate says, what is truth? And in John 14, five chapters earlier, Jesus Christ says, I'm the way, the truth and the life you know the most important thing you could have in your life to combat all the things we're talking about the instability is truth you know why truth doesn't change your feelings are up and they're down and they're in and they're out they're all over the place and what you think about certain politics you know uh, politics over here and, and is over here years later it's over here man i watch christians in 2020 that that i mean have been saved for years just kind of lose their mind you know why? Because they became all concerned with all the stuff that the world said was important instead of focusing on truth. I'm not saying to bury your head in the sand and not know what's going on, but I'm going to tell you right now, one of the most dangerous things you could have in your life is a mind that's constantly looking for some new thing. What, what about this? And what about this? And what's really going on underneath the airport at DIA? And well, what's really happening over in Russia and Ukraine? And, you know, I think really in reality, uh, Biden's not senile. He's just a robot. Maybe he's a robot. Yeah. And, and the Russians have programmed him. And I know this because I've been watching this on YouTube online. And you've got all these different things your mind is concerned with instead of being stabilized with truth. You know what truth does? It just kind of gives you this sense of confidence that everything's going to be all right. The most nervous people are those that are always looking for some new thing. A new relationship. A new doctrine. A new idea. Can I say this? You live in a world that's constantly going, buy this. It's new. We repackaged it. Now you get 20% more. They've been saying that for decades. If they were honest, the bottle would be this big now. You understand what I'm saying? But, they re- but it's new, and it's new, so therefore it's better. Can I say some new things aren't better? Look at Acts 17. Look, if you would, at verse 19. And they took him and brought him under Apagus, saying, May we know what, th- this is Paul, the, the Athenians grabbed Paul, and they go, We want to know what, what is this new doctrine whereof thou speakest? 
For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. If it's new and it's strange, I want it. But if it's old and it's just, you know, the same Bible stuff, I, man, I just, you know, I don't need that anymore. You never grow out of that. You need that stabilizing force in your life. Listen, don't get me wrong. It's exciting when you get truth and you learn about how to write and divide the Bible. It's exciting learning about the end times. I'm not taking that away from you. It's exciting learning about these different things. But I'll tell you right now, you'll be real careful that your mind is not consumed with new things constantly. Because eventually what ends up happening is you miss out on the bigger picture. You say, how do you know? You know what happens with these guys? Uh, look, if you would, at verse number uh, 21. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Insert the internet 2022. If it's new, let's talk about it. Some of you spent more time learning about Amber Heard than you did any other woman of the Bible. Or what Johnny Depp, what Amber Heard did, you know, and what Johnny Depp said and how he responded. Oh, did you see the lawyer's response? And you know more about that than you do things that God wants you to actually have your mind centered on. I watched two minutes of it just because I'm like, okay, Lord, if everyone around me is talking about it, I want to at least give this a shot and see what they're talking about. And I was like, this is stupid. I don't get it. But the world is fixated on new things. I remember walking to get our fingerprints uh, for, for the adoption stuff and all that and get all that. You know, don't worry, we're not criminals, we're, we're okay, all right? We did the background check, we're good, but we ended up getting our fingerprints done for the adoption, and the lady that was in there, God bless her, very nice lady, she had on her phone the, the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial, and I mean, she had to pause and go, she'd tell me instructions and click play, and she was just tuned in. And I'm not, you know what, I, if I don't have the Bible, and I don't have the Holy Spirit inside of me, I probably would do exactly the same thing. I'm not knocking that lady, but I will say this. If you're a child of God and your mind is all over the place, constantly chasing some new religion, some new doctrine, some new thing, instead of good, old-fashioned, solid doctrine from the Word of God, you need to check how your mind is going because it's not good for you. And let me tell you this right now. I've been watching this for a little bit of time. I'm not the final authority on this, but I've been watching Christians for a long time. And I will tell you, there is a danger in coming to a place where all you all learn about is some new thing. Here's the proof in the pudding. Look down later in the chapter. Look, if you would, at verse 32, after Paul preaches the message. They wanted excitement. They wanted razzle-dazzle. And then they got this guy talking about sin and God and Oh, it, it sounded fun at the beginning. And then it just sounded like you're just preaching truth. So you know what they do? Look at verse 32. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. Here's the problem. Most of them never heard from him again on that matter. You know why God gives you a church? Ephesians 4 says, you be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of... Do you know where these folks were at? What's new? What's new? What's new? What's new? Guys, let me tell you something right now. (sighs) That's awesome. People have been breathing like that for thousands of years, and it's still amazing. (laughs) Vitamin D, way old-fashioned, like thousands of years old. It's so like 4,000 B.C., but it's still awesome. (laughs) 
And you love going outside and getting vitamin D and, and feeling the sun's rays on your body. It's an amazing. People that don't have sun, God bless those that live in Seattle and Portland where it rains all the time. They're depressed and they got a reason to be depressed. We live in Colorado. Isn't it awesome that we live in Colorado? The sun is old-fashioned, but it still works. I'm trying to get you to understand, Christian, there's some things that are just, I mean, Jesus says there's the wise man and there's the foolish man. The foolish man is the one that built his house upon the sand. The wise man heard the word and did it. And he put his house on a rock. And that rock, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, is Christ. You know what Christ doesn't do? He doesn't change his mind about what he thinks. Thank God. I'm glad he doesn't wake up in the morning. He doesn't wake up at all, but let's just say he did like we do. He doesn't wake up in the morning and go, eh... I don't know. I mean, if you watch how those people live, I mean, I don't know. I just think we should just... Uh, sorry, guys, you're not saved anymore. You lost it. Aren't you glad God's not that way? You know what you need more in your life? You need stability. And you know what's going to bring it to you? Truth. I'm going to close with this thought. You're in the book of Acts, so you're close. Go, if you would, to Acts, Acts chapter number 22, Acts 22. 26, sorry, 26. Acts 26. An unstable soul means missing out on eternity with God. Even an unstable soul says, maybe I'll get saved, maybe I won't. Now listen, if you're here and you've never been born again, here's the difference between religion. Religion says, if you follow these five easy steps and you do the best you can, maybe what God's going to do is going to look at the good stuff you've done and weigh it out against your bad, and hopefully in the end, your good outweighs your bad. That's religion. And can I say this right now? That's not biblical. You know what salvation is? Salvation is you're a sinner, just like I am, you know that because when you do wrong, sometimes you look around and make sure no one's even... You ever thought something you shouldn't even think about? And you, even in the moment of thinking it, you kind of look around and go, why are you doing that? You know why? Because there's a light inside of you that goes, you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> God gives everybody in this room, before they even get saved, the, their conscience to give them the opportunity to, to repent and turn from that which is wrong. And you know what happens when someone ignores that? You ignore the fact that you're a sinner. You ignore the fact that you've done wrong. You ignore the fact that there is a God. You can't look out there and look at creation and dismiss the idea of God. You have to understand that someone set all this in motion. There was an intelligent designer, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ, because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and without him, anything that was made was made. Listen, without him, there was not anything made that was made. You look out there and you know that there's a creator. You know this. There's something wrong with you and there's something wrong with the world. And Jesus Christ is the only one that can bridge that gap between sinners and a sinless God. And you know what a lot of sinners say? Almost you convince me to get saved. My job is not to convince you. That's God's job. My job is to present truth. But look at Acts 26. Look if you would at verse 24. As he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of what? 
truth and soberness. Look at that. Stability. For the king knoweth of these things before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know. He's looking at him going, I'm watching your face. I know you believe. I see it on your face. You're starting to get this. And I want you to see his response in verse 28. Almost. Almost. Thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Paul, you had me right there. Well, King Agrippa, it wasn't Paul that had you right there. It was God himself. But God's not going to force you because God's a gentleman. He's not going to force religion on you because that's what the world thinks is how it works. And God says, it's not how it works. It has to be your heart in tune with mine. I desire for you to receive the free gift of eternal life. I desire for you to be saved. I desire for you to avoid a place called hell. I desire for you to have an eternal life and abundant life. That's all that I want and I desire for you, but I will not force it on you. You've got to receive it. And an unstable soul says, almost. Almost persuaded now to believe. Almost persuaded Christ to receive. Seems now some soul to say, Go, Spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day on thee I'll call. Almost persuaded, come, come today. Almost persuaded, turn not away. Jesus invites you here. Angels are lingering near. Prayers rise from hearts so dear. O wanderer, come. O be persuaded. Christ never fails. Amen? O be persuaded. His blood avails. Can save from every sin. Cleanse you without and cleanse within. Thank God for that. Will you not let him in? Open the door. Almost persuaded. Harvest is past. Almost persuaded. Doom comes at last. Almost cannot avail. Almost is but to fail. Sad, sad, that bitter wail. Almost, but lost. Can I say this? You're, you're not almost saved. You're either saved or you're lost. And it's not like this elite club, like, ooh, we're saved. Check it out. I got a membership card. It's not how it works with God. It's just a bunch of sinners that know who they are. And they knew that Jesus Christ loved them enough to die for them. And you know what that man says? That man says, almost. You know what that is? That's an unstable soul going out into eternity. Do you know what? I, if I could, I can't prove it, but I, I guarantee you on that man's deathbed, he's going, Paul! Paul, come back! Paul, finish that sermon! Paul, I'm sorry. Tell me again. I, I don't remember. Tell me again. Paul, I, I want to hear it one more time. I know I told you almost, but I want that. Paul! Paul's gone. Paul's probably in the presence of God himself at that point. And it's too late. Let me just say this. If you're almost persuaded and you've never been born again, you need to get in today. And Christian, can I say this? If you want to make a difference in this world and you don't want to see your life end like Reuben, like Saul, like Samson, like the Athenians, yeah, we'll hear about this some other time. Get yourself centered on truth. Quit bouncing between people and ideologies and doctrines and things and get yourself stable. You know what you can do that? You can do that through the Word of God. 
Get grounded. God desires that for you today. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we lack stability. I lack stability. Lord, I know who I am. I can't speak for these people, but I know who I am. And Lord, I lack stability in my life. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me. God, help these dear people. There are areas in their lives, Lord, maybe maybe suffer from what Saul dealt with and just needed the constant affirmation and a constant praise of people. And people are fickle, Lord. They, they're all over the place. I don't, I don't want my identity and my affirmation to be found from people but from you. And God, I, I know when I find myself going down that road, it causes so much instability in my spirit. And God, I pray for the hearts of all these that are here today, Lord, I pray that they would see the need for stability of heart. Not just allowing the flesh to run wild and to to consume whatever it wants. I pray, Lord, that their minds would be stable. That it wouldn't be a new doctrine and a new thing and a new next thing, whatever that is. Lord, help us just to be stable. You desire that for us. To get up and read when we don't want to read. To pray when we don't want to pray. To come to church when we don't want to come to church. Just so we can learn some consistency in our lives. God, help our young people. Not just to live with their flesh. Lord, help those who aren't in that category as well. And God, I pray if there's any, anyone lost here without Jesus Christ, today would be their day of salvation. God, that you would that you would poke at their heart and that they wouldn't leave here almost persuaded. If the Lord spoke to you, the altar's open. I pray you take advantage of it. You know, you can gain stability in your life. starts with believing what God says and doing it and doing it when you don't want to and trusting God when it doesn't feel right but it's what the book says because your feelings aren't always right your feelings change you need something to stabilize you stabilize your heart stabilize your mind and stabilize your spirit I'm thankful that my soul, I, that much is stable. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. I, my soul has been saved. Not because I'm a great guy or I'm a pastor, but because I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was 12 years old. That, my friends, is a decision I will never regret. But since that day, I've made a lot of choices. Some of them have brought me more stability and some less. What I want you to understand, Christian, is a lot of this goes back to your choices. I'm not trying to beat up on you, but some of you are making time to listen to four hours of talk radio and you won't crack your Bible open. And it, it changes your mind, changes how you think about things.
The world is very, very fragile, very unstable right now. We are called to be different, and we can be different, but it takes a reliance on the Spirit of God and on the Word of God to define what's truth for us and go, you know what? It doesn't change. It's stable. I can plant my feet on it. I'm not going to keep paying to go on a ride that leaves me where I started and leaves me dizzier than when I got on. you got something out of the word of God today and I pray that that you're challenged to to live a stable life and where you find there's these fault lines these areas of instability my prayer would be that rather than just acting like they're not there to learn about last week deal with them and say Lord I don't want to allow this area of instability to continue in my life Lord would you help me overcome this and Lord what does your word say about this And how should I approach this? You know what will happen if you do that? God will help you be stable. He will give you the stabilizing force that you need in your life to move forward in a straight line in the direction he wants you to go in rather than doing this. You know what? I'll say it like this. There's a lot of folks that if if God was honest and he were here right now, he would say, I'm wondering if I should pull you over for for some spiritual DUI. You're kind of weaving all over the place. I can't follow you. And, and, and the Lord wants us to be the people that have the answers for them. Guys, the world needs us. And you may go, well, they don't need me. If that's the way you think as a Christian, you're missing the boat. God, God wants to use you to help them. But if you're unstable, you can't do it. If you're flapping around the water with a life vest trying to rescue someone else, you're going to kill two people instead of bringing one to safety. So I'm I'm encouraging you this week. Think about the word of God. Let it soak in your heart. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you for being here today. And enjoy the beautiful weather out there. And uh, be here Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, for our Bible study on the fruit of the Spirit, the results of a Spirit-led life. And we'll be talking about peace this Wednesday. The world needs peace. We need peace. And uh, I I pray that you make it for that 7 o'clock Wednesday night. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I am going to ask Brother Elvin. But Elvin, if you would dismiss us in a word of prayer, love you, brother, appreciate you.